Hello, everyone. Welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm just going to get right into it. Um, this is not an easy episode for me um, to cut right to the chase. My dear, beloved companion, uh, my four-legged companion, Ozzy, passed away on February 15th, 2023, just a week ago. And um, as you might imagine, I'm Terry and I are very much in the throes of grief and just reeling, going through all the ride of it all. Um, we're doing well. We'll be okay. But in this talk I gave, which was from Monday morning, I wanted to try to articulate some of the, the dharma of Ozzy's life for me and what his friendship and companionship facilitated. Um, I mentioned a conversation or an interview I did with Tammy Simon on the Dharma of Dogs, and I'll be publishing that interview, which I did for Meaning of Life TV several years ago, um, but I'll be republishing that on my podcast later this week. But this, if you're interested, this is part one of just my offering some reflections around the the depth of grief, the love that grief reveals, and how the unity, and I don't mean this disingenuously, but how a realization of the unity blows one open to the sacred. And I'll just leave it there for now. But um, I just want, if you're in the Sangha, I want to thank you for the messages that you've sent in. Um, the support from the community has been palpable and uh, just utterly vital. Um, as I try to steady myself within this just wild ride of grief, um, but uh, I'm grateful for the, the Sangha, I'm also grateful for the Dharma, I'm grateful for the practice, and I'm also obviously grateful for my dear Ozzy. So without further ado, here's today's episode, Ozzy's Dharma. Okay, so welcome. Welcome, everybody. Um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Um, I'm not going to have a short movement session today. Um, I'm just going to start in with the talk. Um, and I suppose just to give a bit of a warning, um, this talk may be a bit heavier for me uh, than normal. Um, as some of you know, and I'm letting everybody know, um, last Wednesday, uh, Ozzy passed. And um, I'd like to speak to that a little bit. Um, offer some thoughts about his uh, what he means to me and how he taught me he was a big teacher so i got a, a few uh, kleenex ready but um first i just want to say i'm so grateful that you're here and um 
whether I'm able to tie this thread together and, and finish this circle in my talk today. I do want to say that, um, and I don't mean this, I don't mean this in any way like um, it's some sort of a, a mystical statement or a um, kind of a, a projection, but I, I, in my bones, I feel that his time with me and the learning and growth and understanding that I received through his presence um, is every bit a vital condition for my ability to, to, to do this work and to do this practice. And in, so in many ways, our presence together is a, um, is a, is a sign of a, of a blossom on his life. So when I, when I saw you all last, last week, I hadn't slept very well. Um, and I shared that his health was uh, declining and uh, I was getting up more in the middle of the night to walk him. And um, on, after our talk last week, um, he seemed to be getting worse and um he was terry and i both commented how he was the least responsive we had seen him that he was very muted his his spirit was was really dipping and, and fading um and we were trying to figure out just how to manage that we didn't have um we didn't have enough money to really do comprehensive testing. We didn't really want to do comprehensive testing and put him through that stress. But we did have a, an emergency clinic in Freeport that we had gone to once and we went there that night. And um, with the, with the one test of an, you know, an abdominal chest x-ray, nothing really was obvious as to what was causing his, his distress. And um, we went home that night with sort of a sense that we were going to just try to make him as comfortable as possible through the end and, um, and see how it went. And um, Tuesday was a bit better. His energy started to come back on Tuesday. And um, on Wednesday, he really seemed to be coming back. You know, his tail was wagging and he was eating, which I'll say more about in a second. But in spite of that kind of flourish of spirit at the end, um, at around midday on Wednesday, Terry and I took him for a walk. And he, this is again where I was saying to her, it's like, you know, did, What's going on here? He seems to be really rebounding and, and and his old self is back and was all of this last week or two just for not, was it just medical visits for medical visits and no outcome, but he's just going to be back to his normal self by today. And so it was in that spirit that he was back and it was a sunny day and um Terry and I need to get some errands 
get something from the grocery store. So we all got in the car and he loved car rides. And it was one of his favorite places to be, particularly in Terry's car. He really enjoyed Terry's drives. And um, on our way to the grocery store, he collapsed in the back. He went down and just was lying down. Seeming like he was just going to sleep, like just rest for a while, but it became clear that he was hyperventilating and not in a good state space. So I got in the back seat with him at around 12:30, and we drove back home. And at that point, we um we were able to, Terry went inside when we got home and fetched a blanket and we were able to kind of carry him on the blanket inside and bring him into the front of our hearth, in front of our stove, on his favorite rug. And a very, for us, salient detail was that when we got back to the house and Terry went in to fetch the blanket to carry him with, she said to me, she said, Josh, did you leave the front door open? And I said, what? So there's a, a the front door of our house that we rarely use. It's not an entrance door really, but it's the front door that's off the, the hearth area of the home. And when we got inside, um, she said it again. She said, yeah, the, the front door. And I came in, the front door was open here. And I looked around. We And, you know, this has never happened. And I looked around and like, did anything get stolen? Was, was were we broken into? Which wouldn't have been hard because we don't lock the door. But nothing, you know, Terry's laptop and iPad were there. So it seemed clear that nothing was stolen. But we both were filled with a conviction that Ozzy had opened the door and wanted to have a clear channel for release. And within about 10 minutes of getting him in front of the hearth, he went into cardiac arrest. And in those 10 minutes, in our arms, in our hands, he passed. And <clears throat> we've been sitting with um, the full emotional range. Really prior to, the, to his passing, but especially after. And um, I think a way, one way to, to try to summarize this without going on and on and on with every exquisitely painful detail is to just say that or share that um a little a little bit of a story here that on friday last friday it was really the first time i left the house uh, with terry for some again some errands and when we drove i I said, I asked, I said, Terry, would you mind if we listened to an interview I did 
a while ago. It's with, um, the interview was with Tammy Simon. And Tammy, if you don't know Tammy's name, Tammy, uh, at the age of 22, started a spiritual publishing company out in Boulder, Colorado, called Sounds True. Sounds True Publishing. And she's interviewed every teacher you've ever heard of. And it's really created an, an American archive. And it's a beautiful archive of contemporary teachings and conversations with teachers. And the reason I interviewed Tammy five years ago was that she had edited a book um, called The Dharma of Dogs. And it was a collection of essays that that teachers, spiritual teachers, had written about their relationship and lessons they've learned from their dog. And uh, <clears throat> this was this interview was five years ago. And when I when I brought it up on YouTube, you know, I got a ping of a chill because the date that the interview was published was February 15th, 2018, which was five years ago to the day that Ozzy passed. And when we listened to it, it was painful. It was a painful interview for me to rehear. Again, five years ago, I was, what I would say, still very early on in my days of learning how to do an interview. And I'm just beginning to still feel like I'm learning how to do an interview. But Five years ago was an early phase of that. And in Terry's language, or in Terry's words, she said, you can just hear how you're not in your heart. And it was painful for me to hear my own voice and to hear how... The word I use is how locked I was. Locked. And I use that word specifically. Um, it's an it's a word a phrase that I I learned in Ireland. Um, the Irish use the phrase "locked," not not as I was using it, but they use the phrase "locked" to imply being extremely drunk. One is locked out of your head with alcohol. But in listening to myself in this interview, I could hear my own soul locked out from my heart. my questions, the way I was thinking, the way I was responding was all from this bound up, uptight, stick up my butt, intellectual posture. And even though I was talking about a very sensitive heartfelt, heart-based topic of dogs and their role in our life, I had no access to it. No access to it. And yet I know in those five years, in the last five years, there's been a, a change in that. It's palpable to me, it's palpable to Terry, it's palpable to, I know, many of you. And when I listened to what Tammy said to me in that interview, 
it was like she was describing everything to come because she shared her own journey how in spirituality she was very comfortable going on retreat she was very comfortable abiding in transcendently blissful states of consciousness but she was incredibly uncomfortable with intimacy and it was only for her her partner's cocker spaniel raz that her own heart began to crack the shell of her heart the shell around her heart began to crack And that's the way it was with Ozzy. Yes, there were therapists that were needed. Yes, Terry's love and relationship was needed. But so was Ozzy. And in some ways, he was the companion for me. To help me overcome my alienation, my, my alienation from my own heart. <clears throat> the first knock. The first knock that came was about four years ago. And I, we were out, this is when I was still living in Boston. And he and I were out in a February day with slushy, freezy, freezing, frozen snow on the ground. And we were walking in a, a beautiful, uh, nature preserve in, in belmont massachusetts but he was off leash that day and ozzy was not the most obedient dog off leash and he started chasing another dog and they ran off and he disappeared for a while and i didn't know this nature preserve very well and i didn't know where the boundaries of it were and where the roads were in relationship to the boundaries. So I grew incredibly anxious that I wasn't going to be able to retrieve him. Long story short, I did. But when I did reconnect with him on that day, um, it was clear that he had injured himself. Something was wrong with his leg. And it took a long time to get diagnostics done to figure out that he had, like many dogs, torn his ACL, torn his anterior cruciate ligament. But it was that experience and you know the diagnostics that came back. And, and at that time, through the diagnostics for his knee, we learned that he had a congenital heart condition. He had a, a, a weak valve of his heart that would eventually become a problem. 
and and so that was like the the first real chime the note of this is finite everything here is finite and how are you going to live within that finite nature <clears throat> And so I could speak about his um, companionship, his love, his unconditional love, his presence, what he did for me in terms of getting me into nature. And I'll probably will over time revisit stories and reflections on that. But if I want to, I want to try to tie together what his passing felt like to me and Terry in terms of bringing us into the sacred i want to speak to i want to come to the sacred <clears throat> and i want to come to it through mentioning that is part of my healing journey and and part of my healing journey with through the the companionship of ozzy and the friendship and presence of ozzy one of the things he did for me and this is like a specific role. But one of the things he did for me was that in this five-year period, um, he sat with me as I went on a dozen or so journeys. And by that, I mean specifically a journey of coming to a great intention, and coupling that great intention with the medicine of psilocybin, psychedelic mushroom. So he and I, well, he didn't trip with me. He didn't, he didn't ingest. He did once, and that's another story for another day. <laughs> um, but while I journeyed, he sat with me. And if you've ever taken a psychedelic journey, or if you've done several of them, you may know that they don't they don't follow any predictable pattern, usually, that they're usually incredibly unique, incredibly potent, incredibly powerful. <clears throat> but if I were to try to essentialize a lesson from these journeys with Ozzy. It's that they showed me in different ways, at different levels and at different degrees, they showed me the extent of my alienation. So at times I could see how I was alienated from my heart and part of that alienation was blind, a blindness or an inability to see, an inability to understand, an inability to respond to my shadow. And there, so there's, I, I could see in my journals from these times the awareness of my arrogance, my hubris, my self-centeredness my narcissistic conditioning, 
all of that started to come to me as a consequence of these journeys. But beyond the personal and, and sort of my own healing, some of my own personal wounds, very deep wounds that I feel were inflamed in this life, but reach back intergenerationally through many, many generations. The more and part of the years have, have involved interviewing members of my family just to try to understand the layers of this trauma, the layers of this pain. But the journeys also, in terms of alienation, pierced the veil of my individual's alienation to a collective, to the collective. And and I won't be able to do justice this to this now, but the experiences of feeling generational societal pain the two specific examples that came to me were through cultures that i feel a deep connection to one was the culture of ireland and feeling the collective grief and pain and anguish in that consciousness, what I see felt in that consciousness as a result of colonization, the brutalization of colonization, the intergenerational trauma bound in that brutalization. And another equally ripping, gripping experience on a different occasion involved listening uh, to the solo music of Abdullah Ibrahim as Abdullah took me on a tour of the embodied pain and agony in the African-American experience. So from personal trauma to collective trauma, to spiritual existential grief, because depending on the dose you take, you know, you might get dunked in the full, I want to say the full Monty. Which, which I haven't talked to, and I don't really have the best language for this mystical union. Dunked in the full Monty to me realizes it symbolizes or means waking up, not as a part of the universe, not as a small thread in the web of existence. That's not what I mean. That's not what the mystics mean. But literally waking up as God. And experiencing God's grief 
or the presence of the devil in his own heart. And that's a spiritual conundrum. That's a spiritual paradox that no words, no thoughts will will square. But on the continuum of moving into the sacred, all of those experiences and more share a, I think, a, a characteristic that I want to mention. And that is that, and this is what happened when Ozzy passed, when we opened, when we held him and he died. The sacred doesn't come or didn't come. It doesn't arrive because Josh wakes up one day and says, it would be so nice to have a little bit more contact with the sacred. That's not how it came. The sacred comes, in my experience, like a nuclear bomb with heat-seeking detection built into it, aimed right at your heart. And when it hits you, you shatter. You explode in a million pieces wide open. And the reason I call it the sacred is because within the the agony, and that's the only word I have for it, the, within the agony of pain, is the paradoxical realization that the pain, the immense grief, the immense pain, is inseparable from love and joy. That the most painful, terrifying emotional states are always and always have been conjoined with our Siamese twin. There's a union of oppositions. And the realize in the re, in the realization of that, opens a, a dimension of love that really has no opposite. A dimension of love that is not opposed to anything. I wrote it down somewhere in my journal over the weekend. Something around how the dimension, that love with no opposite doesn't deny the devil, doesn't deny the devil. But the wisdom of that love says, 
I think Alan Watts said something similar. I saw another passage recently that articulated the same thing. But the wisdom of that love says, don't try to get rid of the devil. That would be disastrous. Don't get rid of the devil. Learn to love and dance with the devil so that the devil never never wins. So, in closing, and I again, i'm I'm just trying to bring you guys up to speed share a little bit of what's going on for me. Um, we haven't had much energy. And that feels right. It feels right to collapse into the grief. And anyone that's had a dog knows <clears throat> that when they leave, you're confronted with the ordinary like never before. Walking, the routines, the feeding, the sounds, the small sounds, whether it's breathing or paw nails on the wood floors. The absence of those sounds, the absence of those forms, reveal a massive hole of space. There's nothing I can do that doesn't remind me of that space. But I know that as my companion in this life, And I'm not, I know this can sound like I'm anthropomorphizing, but I'm not. I know Ozzy's consciousness, Ozzy's defective heart, touched mine, changed mine, transformed mine, and helped me fulfill the spiritual task that is described here by Rumi. Your task, Rumi tells us, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. To seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against love. So I offer those reflections this morning. Thank you for your attention. And I'll bring us into a sitting now. Okay, I can't say that 
that probably was an easy episode to listen to if you got this far, but I do want to say thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. Um, we all go through it. We're all going to go through it. doesn't matter if you have a dog or not. If you're alive, you'll experience loss, profound loss, massive loss. This just happens to be, in some ways, probably my first encounter with massive loss. And I say that as someone on the doorstep of 50 years of age. So it's it's pretty some, it's striking to me to say that it's uh, I've lived this long without encountering it. But now that I have, I... I as many people will share, um, I feel a deeper integration of everything I've ever studied, everything I've ever practiced, um, and it's all, it has brought me into my heart. So um, I'm going to leave you with that. I'm going to continue to take care of myself. Terry and I are doing well, walking, practicing, talking, crying, just moving through it. Um, Know that we're okay. I appreciate your support, and we will continue on. So until the next time, stay safe, keep practicing, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. All my best.